Well, good morning, everyone joining us from home or here in the tent. I told the guys, okay, with these intros, I'm going to have a hard time following those, all right? I said, so we're turning to sight and sound with these intros here. Uh, but that, uh, we are excited. We're very excited about our Act series coming up, Pioneers, um, where we're going to be walking through and, and just studying and investigating the acts of the apostles, the early church, and watching their numbers grow daily. And one of the parts of that series we're really super excited about is every Sunday you're going to get to see a few testimonies of people joining the church and uh, even being baptized each week um, with that awesome song, My Testimony. And uh, so we're just looking forward to that. It's been a blessed time. And uh, as we spend our last day under the tent, as we prepare to move inside in a very different format with um, distancing and um, a certain a limit seating and, and things like that, mitigation, it's going to be a challenging season, there's no doubt, but uh, we're going to pioneer it together and um, we'll go through that together and trust the Lord in it. Hey, this is the last week, if you will, for the church to be under the tent. Um, we are going to be keeping the tent. Uh, our kids are going to be able to use it. Um, youth is planning on using it and, and different aspects. It's been a great tent. Um, it's been now 13 weeks under the tent, believe it or not. Um, some of you have been out under the tent and some of you haven't been able to make it out or, or it's not wise for you at this point to be out in the tent. But um, we thank those who did join us and it's been a wonderful experience and it's really been neat to do kind of a tent series. And I was just praying through, how can we wrap this time period up in the tent? Because a lot of times I feel in our Christian life, we can ask God for a lot of things and ask him and ask him and ask him. And sometimes the answer is yes. And we like thank him once, you know? I mean, we ask, 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 God, please, God, I really want, I want to see this. And then we get like, thank you. Okay, on to the next thing, God. I'm really dying for this. It's like, it's like, can we take the time to show gratitude for what God has given us? And we're so grateful grateful for the blessing of this tent. Um, we learned how grateful we were for stone versus grass, or we would stinketh in here, okay? That's an Old Testament term. Um, and, uh, and, and, it, and it would be bad, but it, everything comes to a season where we have to begin to um, move forward, even if it's not maybe how we'd like to, but uh, move forward in some sort of way. J.D. Greer actually put it very well. He said, you know, anybody can live out of a suitcase for a week, but after a while, you have to unpack. We also need some stability to move forward. That's one of the things your staff needs is a little stability. We praise God for this tent, but I can tell you the first few weeks, I would watch the weather every day. Um, I stopped um, enjoying my life, so I stopped watching the weather. <laughs> and uh, Becca's like, you gotta stop looking at the weather. It changes all the time. We had a few um, interesting Sunday mornings where we were making decisions at midnight, 1 a.m., um, uh, how we're gonna come in, are we gonna to come into the tent. Um, is it, there was a tornado warning one Sunday. Some of you were during that one. Um, that was interesting. And uh, there have been um, some weekdays where pastors have been holding poles in the middle of thunderstorms to keep it kind of in place. Um, the tent has gone through a lot. It's been interesting. But uh, what many of you don't even realize is at 5.30 a.m., all the guys who show up, set this up, bring the tech out, and wire it all and present um, an online ministry as well as an in-person ministry that's blessed people through the word of God. And so I'd be remiss if we didn't just quickly thank them. Could we thank the tech team for all they've done? Thank you guys. Awesome. 
But hey, we're in this tent. It's the last week in the tent as a church service per se, unless something happens. Um, I'm no longer into committing anything into the future, uh, but um, we're planning on being inside next week. But uh, last week under the tent, I, I just want you to take a look around, okay? Um, if you're online, you know, just kind of picture a big, big white tent, okay? Um, big circus tent, if you will, three big, huge poles in the middle. Just take a look around. You notice there's some holes developing? Yeah, there's a few. There's a couple nicks we'll have to tighten up, you know. Um, there's maybe some poles I've gotten a little bit loose. Um, it, it's interesting being under a tent. Um, I, I, I'm like this because I'm always looking for sermon illustrations. So my family will sometimes be like, here he goes, you know. Um, but I just want you to look at this tent and think, is there a sermon illustration here, you know, of uh, how things can sometimes wear out or, or they're temporary? Tents aren't permanent, right? I mean, can you look around, draw implications from what you're looking at? Um, I'm going to call them today tent dynamics, all right? What, what are some tent dynamics? And, and I think it, I'm not being outlandish here to make it a spiritual illustration because I'm actually following the Apostle Paul. Yeah, the Apostle Paul talked about a tent in Scripture and, and how the, the tent is an illustration for him for how to live life. And, and so I'm going to talk about the dynamics of a tent being an illustration of life, all right? Um, if you look around, what are some things a tent provides and what are some things a tent doesn't provide? Well, one of the things a tent provides is um, relief from the elements. Um, some of you are sitting out in the sun, squinting or wearing sunglasses, okay? I see you out there, I appreciate you. Um, some of you are inside just enjoying the shade of it. it. It can give you relief from the elements. There were some Sundays uh, in July that was so hot, I was changing shirts in between for the online uh, service, the second one. So it, it provides some relief, but it doesn't provide protection. You should have seen the first service this morning. We had coffees, blankets, okay, uh, um, things like this. It was snowing for, no, it wasn't snowing for a little bit. Um, <laughs> But it was, I think, 42 degrees this morning at 8.30. Um, so it lacks some protection from the elements. You know what it provides? Adaptability for our church. But you know what it doesn't provide? Um, innovation. We're kind of reached our max of what we can do on a Sunday morning under a tent, whereas inside we have more innovation. Um, it's a temporary dwelling. It's not permanent, um, and, and it's not something we can get fixated on. It's, it's like a, a passing through, if you will, 13 weeks in a tent. If, if somebody newer to the church would come to me and say, you know, Chris, I'm a little concerned about the future facility projects we're designing. I just don't feel the church should be under tents. I would look at them and go, we're not planning to be. It's temporary. Well, I just don't really like the way the poles are set up. I think we should have the poles here and have the aisle here. It's temporary. Why are you even, why are you upset about something this temporary? Have you ever gotten so upset about something temporary? Do you realize, okay, if the Lord tarries, five years from now, you're going to look back at COVID and it'll be a little bit of a joke. Yeah, I was kind of wound up during that season. <laughs> you look back on the election, I know, I thought it was over. <laughs> Probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, told a few Facebook friends they can go somewhere. <laughs> and you'll look back on this season and be like, yeah, it's kind of bad. Or, or you might look back and go, geez, I was afraid for nothing. You might. You might go, wow, I, I really, I kind of made some changes. I probably shouldn't have. Or we got really apathetic as a family about the things of the Lord during that season. Or man, I grew like crazy during that time spiritually. It was such a time of renewal. We will look back and realize that this is temporary. And Paul goes, yeah, 
That's tent dynamics. It's temporary. And, and Paul speaks right into that in, in 2 Corinthians 5. But see, unfortunately, the chapter break, um, the first verse of 2 Corinthians 5, it's unfortunate the chapter breaks there because you really need the final verses of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians to really gain the leverage that Paul wants when he uses a tent as his illustration. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5 too. He says, for in this tent, this is the text we're gonna be going through today. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now, I want you to understand something. Paul says he groans. He doesn't say he moans. Different, okay? He groans. He longs for something. He doesn't whine, moan, and complain during the temporary dwelling. So why does he groan? Some of you groan in your temporary dwelling. If you know the text and you know the context, you know Paul is calling this tent his earthly body. It's temporary. And so he sees a tent, and the first thing he thinks of when he sees a tent is temporary dwelling, my body. This is a temporary dwelling. One day, I'm going to receive a glorified body. But right now, I'm in this temporary dwelling. It's like a tent. One day, I'm going to get something permanent, and it's going to be great. So while I'm in this tent, I'm not going to get too worked up on it because it's temporary. I want to stay focused on what's permanent. And that's the illustration that he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5 that I want us to walk into and see what Paul wants to illustrate to us today. Before I pray and we dig into the text, I want you to ask this simple question of yourself. <clears throat> How's your attitude this morning? How's your attitude? How would Jesus say your attitude's been this weekend? How would Jesus say your attitude's been this month? I'll ask the kids. I'll ask the teenagers. I'll ask the college students. I know many of you college students, you're gathering on your dorm campuses watching. Thank you. How's your attitude? Been told to do something lately? Been told you can't do something lately? Have few people over and talked about this or talked about that? How's your attitude? Do you understand one of the number one things that God is going to refine during this time is our attitude with how we handle this temporary season and temporary life we're living. Because that to him is far more important than anything else. So there's our question. How's your attitude? And does your attitude honor what the Lord has allowed in this season of life for you? And let me pour grace right onto that real quick. My attitude sometimes during this season of life has stunk. And I know that. And I've had to ask for forgiveness for that. And I've also needed this text to remind me that Chris, don't get too wound up about temporary things and forget there is an eternal value to this current trial or season of life I don't want you to miss. And that can be found in tent dynamics. Heavenly Father, use this tent as an illustration for us to grow in you. God, we got an attitude check today. And Paul lived with an attitude. He lived with this understanding he's passing through. He lived with this understanding that he's in a temporary dwelling and he wasn't gonna put too much stock into it, but he also wasn't gonna waste the opportunity given to him. 
And so, Lord, may we grow from this and learn from this as we dive into your truth. May it inspire us to live with a different attitude today, tomorrow, the next day. Renew it daily, Lord, in your name, amen. Here's the text. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. It's gonna lead us into chapter five, okay? Paul starts by saying this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. How many of you, your outer self is wasting away? Some of you can't get up anymore without making noises. You get up out of chairs and go, ugh. And, and, and your kids sometimes point it out. Ugh. Mm. Yeah, or you sit down and you make a noise. That's when you know, all right? If you sit down and go, all right, it's wasting away. I, I don't know, I, I, I played sports um, for a lot, into, well into my 20s, I was playing sports and I played through a lot of injuries. And if I go up steps, you can hear me coming. <laughs> like even like, dad, that's gross. Like my ankles are messed up. There's some terrible cartilage in there, okay? And, and I've noticed they get sore now when weather changes. It's like, no, no, I know what that means. Hard being 29, you know? <laughs> Our outer self is wasting away. But guess what? My inner self, oh, it's getting renewed every day. I love the word renew. You all know that about me if you've been with the church. Because renewal is what the spiritual life is all about. And Paul's saying, yeah, this body is taking a beating, but inside, woohoo! You should see what's going on. It's being renewed day by day. But, but there's something interesting. I want to apply some. Let, let's jump into seminary class for real quick. Let's talk about observation part of hermeneutics or studying scripture, okay? Whenever you see a therefore, you should always ask the question, what is it? Therefore, okay? Why is that there? Okay, there's something previous to it. Okay, well, what was Paul talking about? You know what he was saying in the previous chapters? Previous verses, I am troubled during this time of my life, but I'm not distressed. I am perplexed. I am confused, he's saying before these verses, but I'm not in despair. I am persecuted. Paul had been beaten, drug. Imagine if I preached the gospel and then I got drugged down the street after the sermon. But not only that, Paul, they told him he was ugly. They said, you don't speak good and you're ugly. I'll tell you what, if I have a bad sermon and you guys encourage me anyway, I appreciate that. But if somebody came up to me and asked me to say, Chris, I really enjoyed the text, but man, you're so ugly. I had a hard time watching you. <laughs> I mean, I had, Rebecca would have to do a lot of rebuilding for me uh, at the, during, after that to, to get through that. But Paul, they said that to him. You don't speak good. You're hard to look at. And, and Paul's talking about all this before the therefore. He's saying, I'm persecuted. He was beaten, whipped, cast down, he said, but not crushed. I don't want you to picture always when Paul's writing. I am beat down, but not despair. We always take him as a preacher, okay? Because you always heard it from a preacher's mouth, Okay. I really think if you read 2 Corinthians, you almost get the sense of Paul writing, his elbow might hurt from when he was thrown into the wall. His back, he doesn't want to lean back on the stone because he's been whipped so many times and he's got his pen. I'm crushed, but I'm not despairing. I'm beat down, but I am not. I mean, I picture this Paul who just fought through life. You ever notice that Paul talks a lot about sports? Here's a little nugget. 
Paul talks a lot about sports in scripture. You ever wonder why? Why was that so important? Was Paul an athlete? Very possibly so. But when you get a glimpse of where Paul wrote much of his writings, we're often in jail cells, okay? And these cells, specifically some of them, were located right outside the track and field event of the Ismayan Games. It's as if Paul was in his cell going, do you know that all runners run? And he hears the crowd. But they run to get a prize. Paul saw them go to the Bema seat and, and get their awards and stuff. Paul saw all that. But even maybe from his cell, he could look up and look out and see them at this huge track and field event. Here, Paul, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self ah, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I, I, I wrote this down. I love this. Earthly suffering accelerates inner growth. If you're a child of God, Paul's saying the outer might be decaying, but I am being renewed day by day. Well, how can I be assured I'm renewed during this time? My attitude. My attitude towards this temporary season will enable me to either grow or groan or moan. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction. How many of us are stressed out like when our Wi-Fi is down for an hour, Okay. Like if I lose power in our house, dad, 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 need power. We don't have Wi-Fi. I'll get it, guys. I'm turning on the generator. I mean, we, 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 we think affliction is like, really? We have to stand six feet apart. Oh my gosh. Paul, I so get it. <laughs> Come on. We're soft. We know we are, okay? And Paul's, Paul's been beaten. His endless not beat out of him for Jesus Christ. And he goes, for this light momentary affliction, I'm like, Paul, you're my hero. And you call this light? He goes, ah, oh, Chris, this is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he says, and this is my attitude. This is how I go through life in my tent. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, not to the things you see, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen, oh, they're transient. Yeah, yeah, you could see a tent. Yeah, it's not gonna be here forever. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Have you ever looked at something and didn't really see? You say, what? Oh yeah, you saw it, but you didn't really see it. Let, let me illustrate. I got a chance to go on a recruiting trip with uh, a young man who has been recruited and uh, the coach had him in the office and we're sitting together and he goes, young man, what is this? And I'm even like, this is a very intense intro. <laughs> what is this? And I see the kid. Oh boy. I know it's probably not what I'm gonna say, but what is it? Uh, a basketball? No! I'm thinking, oh, where's he going? Where's he going? This isn't a basketball, son. This is an opportunity. I want you to look at that ball and see an opportunity. It's an illustration of, I want you to see beyond what you can see into all the possibilities that are there. My oldest son loves to play baseball. He had, a, he had an older man intersect with him. We were up at uh, Penn State University. He had an older man intersect with him and he said, hey, hey son, my, 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 he was only probably 12 at the time. He said, hey, son, what do you catch a baseball with? My son was like, 
Dad, help me out. Weird guy. What do you catch a baseball with, son? Carter's like, uh, glove. Wrong. Okay. He goes, give me a ball. Gave him a baseball. He goes, close your eyes. Carter closed his eyes and he threw the ball at him. It hit Carter's chest and fell down. He goes, what do you, th- what do you catch a baseball with? My eyes. Yes, don't forget it. We walked away. I was like, dude, that was some savage advice, son. I mean, that was good, man. I never saw that coming. You catch a bowl. It's true. You got to keep your eyes on it. And we walked out of there going, we just talked to the greatest coach of all time. And he just intersected. We're just walking along. He stopped us. The temporary requires sight. The eternal folks requires faith. The temporary, we can see it. What you can't see, that's where faith comes in. And that's why, believers, we seem a little weird to unbelievers because we see beyond what everyone else just sees. Don't you see what's going on in the world today? Uh, no. Oh, my goodness, you can see the Bible playing out. Really? Yeah, let me help you see it. But you'll notice without the Holy Spirit, you can't see because your eyes are blinded to the truth. And therefore, we have to look as believers to the things that are unseen to require faith. Folks, I remember one Sunday under this tent, I was in a real spiritual battle. I mean, I was really feeling the enemy not wanting to speak that message that particular Sunday. This happens from time to time. There are certain sermons where I know I'm gonna share the gospel or I know I'm I'm gonna push on something the devil would not want preached. And it's just a more difficult week and I can't go into all the details, but really hard sometimes and you can just kind of feel it. Well, this particular Sunday, I was really struggling and part of it, I was anxious. I was nervous in the back. I mean, like speak all the time, God, I'm just all messed up and I'm praying. And, And I was just reminded of the battle that we're in. We don't fight against men. We fight against rulers and principalities. And and, and Paul reminds me there's a spiritual battle that Christians often forget they're in while they're in their earthly tent. There's a battle they can't see and they have to be putting on the full armor of God because the enemy runs around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as I'm out beyond this tent, a bunch of you are gathering here. I'm out behind this tent. I'm going, Lord, there's more going on here. I need your angelic protection. I need you, Holy Spirit, to fill me so I can speak your words of truth. And as I'm praying, two vultures come up and land on top of the light post right out of the tent and look at the church body. I'm like, what an illustration of how there's vultures around even when God's doing something neat inside this tent. And I pulled out my phone and took a picture. You see them up there? They just landed up there and they're the size of our light, which is a huge light. The picture don't do it. I said, I want this picture. I want this image that God was doing a great work in that tent, but make no mistake, there's vultures outside and we got to be seeing beyond what we normally can see. Paul says, I get that about this life. My body, this is just a tent. And he says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building coming. Oh, he loves to talk about the building. He goes, and it's from God, a house not made with hands. This isn't made with the dirt and the sand. This is a house that's gonna be eternal in the heavens. So he starts going, we got this tent, our earthly bodies, and we've got this building coming, our heavenly resurrected bodies. For in this tent, 
in this tent. We groan, longing to put on that building. We want to put on that resurrected body. If indeed by putting it on, we might not be found naked. What? Paul, what? He's answering something here. There was a belief going around that when you died, you just went into disembodiment. And Paul goes, no, that's not scriptural. You don't become disembodied at death. Yes, immaterial is separated from the material. The material goes to the grave. The immaterial goes to be with the Lord or to be separated from the Lord forever. We talked about that last week. But the body one day will meet up again. We're not gonna be found naked. He said for a while, still in this tent, we groan, not moan. We long for it, being burdened. Not that we would have to be unclothed. Oh, we're not gonna be unclothed in glory, but that we would be further clothed. We're gonna get a resurrected body so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Earthly tent, mortal, temporary. Eternal building, my glorified body, forever what I want. It's going to be swallowed up in life. It's such a shame. We sometimes don't really long for heaven. And a lot of it is we're not fully aware of all that the scriptures say about heaven. For example, many of us don't have a theological view of what our glorified body will be like. And so we're not all that excited about it. I'm not picking on anybody, but I've heard this said. I, I think we're living in the end times. I'm kind of afraid the rapture comes and I really want to get married. I've always wanted to have kids. Jesus, give me a few years. Trust me, you're not going to be up there going, ah, should have had a few more years. Because you are going to be in heaven's abode with your glorified body. What are some characteristics of my glorified body? Does the Bible give me any clues? In fact, I think there's five very obvious characteristics. Well, how do we know what the glorified body is going to be like? Well, one of the things you have to do is you have to look at what the resurrected body of Jesus was like. It gives you some clues. But there's a few stories in Scripture that give us even more insight to what you, child of God, if you know Jesus Christ your Savior, will get one day that Paul longs to get out of this tent and get into that building. Here's a few of the characteristics we can see in Scripture. One, it's physical. Luke, Jesus says, touch me. Go ahead. The resurrected Jesus. He appeared to the guys like 40 days. He said, you can touch me. Do you ever think they were sitting around at meals? I, I, this is how my mind goes, guys. You ever think they were sitting around at meals and Jesus is like eating it and, and like Peter's like. John, John, watch this. Really, guys? Thomas, really? It's crazy. I would be. I mean, my word, guys, if I died like on Thursday and then next Monday I come back to life and I'm walking around, you would probably be like, <laughs> I mean, think about it. They, went, they didn't know they were Bible people. You're Bible people. You're supposed to touch Jesus and see. They didn't know they were Bible people. Nobody knew they were recording them. They're like, what? It's physical. So you'll have a physical glorified body. It's recognizable. How do you know? Matthew 17, 3, dead. Moses and Elijah were recognized when seen. So the body is recognizable. It's nourishable. Jesus took and ate before them in the new Jerusalem. That's heaven. It talks about us going to feasts and festivals. You're going to eat and you're probably not going to have to diet afterwards. <laughs> not probably. Won't transportable. John 20, 26, the doors were locked and Jesus just came and stood inside him. That's what a resurrected body can do. Remember on the road to Emmaus, he shows up with these two guys and he walks alongside of them 
And they're walking, they're talking with him, and then he just disappears on them. And so they're resurrected, but shoo, gone, right? You thought your movies were coming up with stuff? The Bible's been talking about transporting for years. <laughs> Jesus is just gone. And they said, did your heart not just burn while you were talking to that guy? Yeah, my heart was like on fire. Glorified by who's transformable. And then finally, it's invincible. Doesn't that sound good, kids? It's invincible. I always feel bad for Adam. I mean, he was born with, with no curse. Then the curse happens. I mean, did this guy climb a tree and fall out and go, oh my gosh, I've never felt pain? Because he knew what it was like before. And then he had to live after. That's gotta be horrible. At least for us, we know what it was like before. Some of you are gonna be like, this shoulder in heaven, you're gonna be like, hon, seriously, look at this. Are you kidding me? I mean, I can even go faster. I mean, it's invincible. Your wife would be like, I've never seen him run. Hey, how do you know it's invincible? In Revelation chapter 21, there are seven, no mores, no more. You ever go up to your kids, parents, young kids? Hey, no more. But then there's a time where you kind of like you're trying to stop a conflict and you go, no more, no more. That's enough. That's more than enough. No more. I get that sense in Revelation 21 where Jesus is going, you know what? That's enough. No more. In my heaven, child of God, rest. No more. None of that. He says these seven no mores, and we see them in, in Revelation 21. No more curse. No more. It's enough. No more separation um, from a physical uh, with Jesus. No more sea. I've heard people say, oh, no, there's no water in heaven. Just stay, stay with me. Yes, even we see a river of life going through it. The sea is figurative in Revelation. I challenge you to go back to our Revelation series. A sea is figurative. The beasts come out of the sea. There, it's a figurative language for evil. So no more evil. Sound good, anybody? I mean, what would you even have to talk about? No more death. So no more fear, no more fear of dying, no more fear. Um, no more mourning, no more loss, no more waking up today. I hope I don't lose something, no more loss, no more, no more. No more crying, no more discouragement, no more night. In, in, in scripture, Jesus says, while the day is here, when he was on earth. So night kind of gives this idea of um, uh, something not realized yet, almost a disappointment that the day will be ending. So no more dissatisfaction. And then get this, no more pain, no more suffering. Heaven is this awesome, awesome place where we'll have these physical, invincible bodies with no more the curse and no more suffering and no more discouragement, no more fearing I'm gonna make a wrong decision. No more, no more. Oh, I hope that's true. Paul goes, excuse me? Well, I just kind of hope that's true. Excuse me? Don't say that around the apostle Paul. Well, I just really hope heaven's true. Excuse me, Paul would say? You've been given a guarantee. What's your problem with your little doubt talk? We have? Yeah. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. How do you like to buy something with a guarantee on it? Doesn't it give peace of mind? Doesn't it erase doubt that it might break down? No way it can be this good. I'll guarantee it. Oh, okay, well, maybe. You, you probably have warranties sitting throughout your house of a dishwasher you bought or, or whatever you have, and you got those warranties, and you say, if for some reason this doesn't work out, I'm gonna usher in my guarantee. Paul says you got one, and it's the Holy Spirit. If you come to knowledge of Jesus Christ and you read the scriptures and you understand it, that's part of your guarantee. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. 
If you're praying and you feel the Lord leading you to serve somebody or, or to direct somebody, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to prompt us. If you feel God calling them to yourself, one of the things the Holy Spirit is he draws us towards God. The Holy Spirit is one of those guarantees going, I'm telling you, this unseen world that you can't see, it's for sure, you can put it on the board. And so Paul says, I'm always a good courage because we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. While I'm in this tent, I'm away from God, but I'm of good courage for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, he says, and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. Oh, I want that. But whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Wait, what? Whether I'm here on earth, going through beating, discouragement, I have no idea what's going on kind of life, I take good courage. Whether I'm home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Is that your goal? Your attitude of Paul? If I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna make it my aim to please the Lord. And that's why Paul wrote, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. For me to live, I'm gonna be Christ. But if I die, it's gonna even be better. Folks, I've had an easy illustration my whole life with this verse, because my name's Chris. I just take T off and I can, the, I can apply the verse. For me to live as Chris or for me to live as Christ, which is it gonna be? For me to live, I'm gonna do what Jesus has for me, not what Chris wants. See, Paul looked at heaven, not as his final abode, although it was, not even as his inheritance, although it was. It's like Paul looked at heaven as an ambition. I've gotta get ready for heaven. I've gotta be living for heaven. I make it my aim to please God so that when I get to heaven, in fact, Paul was one who constantly talked about the rewards of glory and that what his glorified body will be rewarded with one day as he lives in glory. It was like his ambition. I gotta think of why. Why did he look at heaven as something to get prepared for? I kind of look at heaven as, oh, it's over. He looked at it heaven as, I've got to be ready. Got to be ready. I've got one shot on earth. I've got to live the maximum effort for God, so I'm ready for that glory. I never looked at it that way. Why do you do that, Paul? And I think it's in our final verse of our text today. It's here. Paul knew this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know what this means in the original language? Bema seat. We must all appear on the stand where the athletes get their awards. We're all gonna appear on the stand. There's the S. Mayan games. Look at them up there. We're all gonna appear on the stand where those athletes get their awards so that each one's gonna receive what is due for what he has done in this tent, whether good or evil. If it's evil, if my motives were wrong, if my attitude stunk, it doesn't matter what I was doing. If I did it from an evil heart or method, it's gonna get burned up and thrown away, that text says. But if it was done for the Lord, not for Chris, but for Christ, it's gonna last. Stand there and feel that wreath come around me in celebration. In fact, the New Testament points out five crowns. Do you know what they are? Almost as motivators. There's the crown of glory, or excuse me, the crown of victory, the victor's crown. 
This crown is, is, is talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27, where he says, I beat my body and make it my slave. This crown goes to those who discipline themselves like Paul to say no to the things of the world and say yes to the things of God. One day they'll be at the beam of seat. Well done, thy good and faithful. You were a faithful believer and you followed what I called you to. Oh, then there's the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Those who shared the gospel, those who desired to evangelize, they'll stand there. That crown of rejoicing will be given to them. Well done. You prioritized evangelism. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 2.4 talks about it. This is those who prioritize kingdom living like the Beatitudes. Patience, empathy, righteousness, Mercy, those who focused on the kingdom while on earth, well done. The crown of life, those who prioritize perseverance even to the point of martyrdom. They've persecuted, they've suffered. Pastors who are imprisoned right now, people who have died for their faith, the crown of life. And then the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5, 4, those who prioritize shepherding, this is often called the pastor's crown, but I believe it extends even beyond that to those who shepherd the flock of God, whether it be a class or a Bible study or a small group, they passionately shepherded people. Ah, oh, they get that crown. What's crazy about scripture, it says, we take all those rewards and we throw them back on Jesus. No, 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 Jesus, you understand. I would have done none of that without you. Whenever I think about doing something not for Chris, but for Christ, I think that anything I do that I get rewarded for someday, it's all because of him working through me, not of my own motivation. It's him working through me. There's a wonderful illustration. I've used it before of, a, of a two guys called Team Hoyt. Have you ever heard of these guys? The one, it, it, one is his son, okay? And that's Rick, and, and the father is Dick, and the Hoyts run together in marathons, Ironman events, all these things. 1,130 endurance events, 72 marathons, six Ironmans. You say, what? What motivates the dad to push around his son who was born with cerebral palsy? His parents were told to institutionalize him and get him away. He'd be nothing more than a vegetable. But mom was so determined to teach and see if he could communicate with them. She taught him how to recognize letters with sand and the letters going up. Before long, computers became popularized and he was able to communicate with his parents through the computer and they found he was extremely intelligent and could communicate. And in one of his messages, he told his dad, when you push me in my wheelchair, I feel like I'm not handicapped. That's all dad needed. And at the age of about 35 or 36, a retired military man, he began to run with cement bags on a wheelchair preparing while he was at school for his son to run the races. And if you watch these races, dad picks them up and puts them on life rafts and swims through channels. He runs with them on the wheelchair. And when they get across the finish line, the son, he celebrates like he won. He did something. And I've always looked at that illustration and said, there it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's gonna push me to that. And so I don't have to sit there and look at the I gotta get to work, I gotta get to work. Although they're motivators, Christ will use and work through you to live those out. Let's apply. How can I, in this season of life, 
live in such a way that I'm not only preparing for heaven and preparing for my eternal dwelling, but I can live in such a way that pleases the Lord. I put this up. How can I aim to please him during this season of life? I've got some geese here. The first service I said, you know why I put geese here? Because I think this is one of our biggest challenges during this season of life. You say, what? Where are you going with this? Stay with me. You ever hear a flock of geese? I can't be too loud because I did in the first service and they started talking to me back there. Dead serious. The crowd's roaring. It's like, shut up. One of the most convicting moments during the past six months was when one of my youngest, my youngest son, he went, went up to his room. I said, hey, bud, we were all downstairs talking. Why'd you go up? Because I'm really tired of talking about COVID-19, the election and everything. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I'm like, yeah, we do talk about that too much. And we share our frustrations. It's been a tough year on adults, buddy. I'm just tired of it. So yeah. I went down that steps and I went, I gotta do better. I gotta do better. God, I can't have a complaining spirit during this season. You're refining me. You're teaching me a lot and I can't live this life with this kind of spirit. So I want you to know, I've struggled with my attitude through this whole six months too. It's not just you. I'm not real pumped up about what we have to go through as a church in the fall. We're gonna have to climb through this. We're gonna have to dig through this. But I know God knows my heart and he cares far more about my attitude than anything I do. That'll just get burned up. What I do for Christ will be what's last. So I wanna leave you with application here. Scripture says this, don't be a duck. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'm gonna read it again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You wanna know how you can stand out, child of God? Shut up. Stop complaining. God has allowed this season. You got a problem with his plan? You'll shine as lights if you do. You'll shine as lights if you just simply not grumble or fight with one another or argue. Stop it, children of God. I'm asking you to do all things. We know what all means. It means all things. And you'll shine like a light. You don't have to go, I gotta go witness. Just don't complain and you'll be a light. So here's the four attitudes our church has shared. Four attitudes we've had. We preach it from these pulpits. We desire it of our congregation regardless of what inside church looks like. Regardless of what December looks like, January looks like, or tomorrow looks like, you can carry these attitudes day by day and renew day by day. Here's our first attitude. It's one of our dynamics that crush complaining. First one, we don't have to, we get to dynamic. What's the point? What is my attitude toward what I'm being asked to do today. Do you got somebody's asking you to do something? An organization, a politician, whatever, they're asking you to do something. All authority has been given to God, given by God, excuse me. So when I submit to anything that an authority does in my life, including your teacher, kids, you're actually submitting to the Lord. Whether you agree with what they're saying or not, when you show that, you're doing it for Jesus. 
I heard a pastor say one time, people come up to me and say, oh, I have to witness. He goes, no, 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 you get to witness. You get to be a part of the salvation story in someone's life. It's not a have to, it's a get to. I've used that in my kid's life when we have to go to something at church and they kind of didn't want to go. Oh, do we have to go? No. Oh, good. We get to go. <laughs> it's funny. It's silly. But when you do that, I got to go to work today. No, you get to go. Do you know how many people don't have jobs? I have to go to school today. No, you get to go to school. Do you know how many schools aren't fully open? Oh, I, I have to listen to my parents. No, you get to listen to your parents. Do you know how many kids don't have parents? And when you begin to check your attitude, when you're being asked to do something, you go from I have to to I get to, you will watch it change your life and you won't do things with grumbling or complaining when you're asked to do something. The second dynamic is this. It is this dynamic, the Rapata dynamic. We made it an acronym. PTL, praise the Lord, we do R-A-P-A-T-A. Rejoice always, pray always, thank always. What is God's will for me to do during this season of COVID? I've got it for you, Rapata. What? Rejoice always, pray always, thank always. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will isn't a destination, it's an attitude of rejoicing, praying, and thanking. That's God's will, regardless of what tomorrow holds. And that's an attitude check that can keep you from grumbling or complaining. I don't like this. Well, what's God's will for you then? Rejoice, pray. It helps you check that attitude. Here's the third of four. One another dynamic. Many of you were with us during our one another series. I said, you're gonna make life about your selfie? Or are you gonna take a camera and point it on other people? Half the time you're struggling with a complaining spirit is you're only concerned about yourself and how it affects you. And selfishness not only destroys marriages, it destroys families and children and teenager relationships, college students, everything. Who am I gonna place the most attention on today? I am to be looking to other people as more important than myself. Whenever you say I'm more important than somebody else, you're gonna have struggle with a complaining spirit. And then finally, John introduced this a couple weeks ago, we like it, like the two dynamic. If I'm being asked to do something that scares me or makes me nervous, is my attitude gonna be to see all the obstacles? Or am I gonna see all the opportunities? Am I gonna look at the basketball and say, it's a basketball? Or am I gonna say, no, it's an opportunity? Folks, I think the church is being walked into a season where our attitude is being checked. It's being refined. And God's saying to all of us, do everything without grumbling or complaining while you're in this tent. You're just temporary, guys. You're passing through. And this is your season as you look forward to the day where it will be no more. <laughs> no more. Yes, there's some crazy stuff you're dealing with, kids. I know you are. In this world, you'll have trouble. But one day it won't be anymore. That's the kind of focus. Yeah, I've got this wire right here as we close. It's pretty long. It extends quite long. In fact, I've got it rolled up quite a bit. I mean, look at this thing. Hey, Gabe, I see you standing there. Pastor Gabe's in the back. He's coming up. Come here. Come here. Take, a, take the end of that. Take a walk down that aisle, would you? Take a walk down this aisle. You got me? Oh, dropped it. Extend that thing. See, see if we can get it up in the air, Gabe. Yeah, it's going to go. There's some knots. It's going. it's going. He's going pretty far. All right, we're about, what, what are we about, 30 feet out? The tent's 100 feet. We easy got that. There he goes. There he goes. Look at this. Look at this. Can you see this? All right, I want you to pretend this is a timeline. You ever see this illustration? 
This is a timeline of your life. Wow, Gabe's way out there in the tent. What, look out for the dumpster there, Gabe. He's got to be 50, 60 feet from me. This is, this, is, this, is, um, this is your life as a timeline here. You see this timeline? This is your life. Child of God, this is your life. You're an eternal being. Okay? This is eternity past, and here's you. Here's you. This is about you compared to all of eternity. Ready? There's all of eternity. Look at all there. And go ahead and wrap around the church a million times, okay? Here's your time on earth. It's about fingernail length. There's the time. There's your fingernail. There's all of eternity. That's all of glory. Just go on, way out there, 100 feet out. There, there's your life, right there, that fingernail. Your fingernail's dumb, so it's a fingernail. You don't preach so good, so it's a fingernail. They might not talk to you if you do that. It's a fingernail. I'm living for all that. But see, child of God, we get so caught up on this fingernail and how much money we can make during the fingernail or how many things we can accumulate during the fingernail and we all fall prey to this. This is eternity past, that's eternity future. Am I gonna live for this fingernail or am I gonna live for all that? Paul says it's a no-brainer. This is a tent. I'm not gonna get so wound up about this season of life. It's only temporary. I wanna live for all of eternity. Feel free to spend all your energy on this earth. I look at this as a tent and I'm going for glory and I'm gonna make it my ambition to please my heavenly father and live for that kingdom over a fingernail. Heavenly father, give us perspective so that we're not tempted to put too much stock into our daily life, even though it has eternal implications. Lord, give us perspective so we don't fight over things that won't matter four years from now. Give us perspective so we don't lose sleep over things that we might not even deem important four years from now. But Lord, let us live our life so that a million years from now we'll know that we're with our heavenly Father in the no more living. Lord, if there's anybody out there watching today or here in the tent that doesn't know the Lord is their Savior, May they make it their number one priority. We get one go on this earth, one go. Will they make it their number one priority to please their heavenly father while they're in this tent? It's temporary, it's not permanent. May we put the focus in the right place and may that align our attitudes towards how we go through things so that we might do them without grumbling or complaining. We're just a tent. Thank you, Lord, we can have an eternal building. Amen.